pleased to be able to say that the uh, team actually did arrive already. They uh, are at JARS. They got in about 5 o'clock, and uh, they were getting ready and going to be going over to uh, Kyle and Jenny's house in just a brief time, so they should be probably at uh, Kyle and Jenny's uh, right now. So we're thankful for the safe trip, the answers to your prayers, and uh, trust that They would have a great week in service for the Lord. Tonight is my second last message from the book of Job. Uh, Next Sunday night, Lord willing, I'll be at Pinebrook. Uh, Pastor Heller is going to be preaching. And uh, the next Sunday, is that Fellowship Sunday? Twelfth, yes. Is that Fellowship Sunday? Then I won't be speaking the twelfth. All right. The 19th. See, now, now you're waiting with bated breath. I can tell. I mean, you're just, but you're going to have to be patient. And uh, Lord willing, on August the 19th, we will be sharing with you the last message from the book of Job. But tonight, we look at God speaks to Eliphaz, Job chapter 42, verses 7 through 10. When all was said and done, the three friends failed miserably. They neither comforted Job nor pleased God. And of course that was their intent, namely to comfort Job as the book opens. And uh, they failed to do that. And they failed to please God. How sad a thing this is. At the very time that the three friends thought that they were defending God, they were actually angering Him. Uh, It seems to me there's no question that they were sincere But the problem was they were sincerely wrong. And uh, sincerity doesn't make up for truth and accuracy. Just because somebody's, quote, heart is in the right place doesn't mean that their mouth is. And unfortunately, uh, they say things that are just not particularly helpful nor, nor true. In their speeches, the three friends never even hinted that they, not Job, might be the object of God's wrath and in need of His grace. That never entered their mind. They never backed down from their position. Uh, They would not listen to Job, even though Job was a righteous individual. And ironically enough, it's clear from other sections of the book of Job that, that Job was a masterful teacher. And before Job experienced all these calamities, Uh, these three friends would have received willingly the instruction of Job. But they become blinded uh, to Job and to what he has to say. And they fiercely defend their position, though it is wrong. Now they discover that they were in need of Job's spiritual resources as opposed to Job's being in need of theirs. Theme, the Lord censures Job's three friends and vindicates Job. First, the Lord censors the three friends, the object of God's censure. Though God spoke only to Eliphaz, God's censure was directed not only to Eliphaz, but to the two friends as well. And it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Tamanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, because you have not spoken of me what is right. As my servant Job has. So God clearly declares himself 
and says, My wrath is kindled against you and your two friends. Uh, so God makes it known. Uh, Job doesn't have to reveal this. Job doesn't have to convey this message. But God directly uh, is going to address Eliphaz. And Elihu is not mentioned by God at all. And we dealt with that in the section looking at Elihu. The nature of the censure. God reprimanded the three friends of Job. Um, in Job 42.7 it said it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said Alpha the same night my wrath is kindled against you and your two friends because you have not spoken to me what is is right. God did more than merely reprimand the three friends. He also communicated the fact that he was angry with the three friends of Job. He said my wrath is kindled against you. Now, that's a, a strong word. And it really uh, teaches us an important lesson. And that is that, that God cares about truth. God cares about truth. Just this week, I was sitting down and talking with someone. And uh, they were pleading with me that, you know, the, the churches in Lebanon County ought to just work together and get along and forget about doctrine. You know, doctrine divides. And if we can just forget about what we teach and do good. You know, and he was saying we ought to get involved with the Catholic Church and all this other stuff. And, and he was saying, you know, because God doesn't care about that. What God cares about is meeting the needs of people. Well, here's a passage that teaches us that God cares about truth. God cares about what we say, and what we believe concerning himself. Their actions were fine. They sat with Job. They listened to Job. They didn't pick up stones. <laughs> they didn't in any way uh, harm Job physically. Their heart was in the right place. They wanted to be a comfort. Their activity was fine. The problem was in their beliefs. And what they said about God. And that was more than enough to anger God. God does indeed care about truth. And God indeed does care about how we understand his activity and his person. So God's wrath was kindled. The reason for the censure comes to us in verse 7. With the underlying words, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. The friends had maintained that goodness and blessing were invariably and manifestly matched. In other words, if you were doing what is right, you would prosper. If you're doing what was wrong, then God was going to bring hardship and difficulty in your life to bring about transformation, change, repentance. That was their belief. Job declared that they were not. That is, that goodness and blessing were not invariably manifested and matched. He had done nothing to warrant such suffering. He wasn't sinless, but he had done nothing that would 
have initiated God's pouring out his wrath upon Job. Job was innocent of wrongdoing. God was angered by the three friends, what the three friends had said about God, not what they said about Job. What the three friends had done was to pervert the goodness and grace of God. Now, this is very subtle, but it's very important because it is a part of how we view the person and character of God. You see, because Eliphaz and the, and the, and the two friends had no concept of grace. You understand that they saw everything that was good coming from the hand of God as being a result of meritorious work or effort. Thus, one deserved blessing when one did what was right. And one deserved punishment, hardship, and difficulty when they did what was wrong. So God was simply a, a just God, in their view, rewarding good and punishing evil. And the whole concept of grace was blatantly uh, missing from their understanding of who God is and how he acts. It is ironic that Job was suffering, the one with whom God was not angry, and the three friends were not suffering, the ones with whom God was, in fact, angry. Which throws that whole presupposition on its head. God says, I'm angry with you. But there was nothing to demonstrate that in their lives. They didn't come down with boils. They didn't come down with sickness. They didn't come down with all the, the misery. And yet God says, I'm not happy with you. And then he's going to come across and say, I'm happy with Job. And he goes through all this pain and misery. I hope you see the irony of that and that it's not lost on us. One cannot determine the acceptance of God on the basis of an individual or a church's, for that matter, prosperity or wealth or ease. Okay? You can't just assume that because everything is going fine, that means that God is happy and blessed uh, and pleased with what we're doing. And if we're running into difficulties, that obviously God is not pleased, God is not happy with what we are doing individually or the church. That is a very dangerous assumption. Because it has no basis in reality, you see. So we need to be very careful. Application. In the reading of the three friends, Job was suffering because of his sin. The fact that the three friends were not suffering emboldened them to assert the correctness in what they said. In other words, because of their faulty theology that said that God rewards good and punishes evil, because they doggedly held to their position, and nothing terrible happened to them, 
It was for them proof positive that what they were saying was right. It just emboldened them. It just gave them greater assurance. Because certainly, God would not tolerate them speaking what was false in their mind. And so, because God was tolerating it, it must be right. And they became even more aggressive, more assertive in the holding to their position. We need to be aware of that. Uh, because there are a lot of people who are self-deceived. And as a result of that self-deception, they become very emboldened to make some pretty outlandish claims about themselves, about their relationship to God and the person and character of God. So, we need to be aware. However, God was in fact angry with the three friends due to what they said. Nevertheless, they were not suffering. So, God vindicates Job. God vindicates Job through his word. When God spoke to Eliphaz, God made it clear that the three friends were doing wrong and that Job was right. Notice the end of verse 7, the underlying words. Uh, Spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So God says what Job said was right. Job spoke truth. Job understood his theology properly. Now, Job no longer needs to defend himself For God has defended him. This is going to be an important part of bringing the matter to a close. You see, because God just didn't simply say to Eliphaz and his two friends, you spoke what was wrong. But then God positively affirms and says, But Job spoke what was right. So not only did he point out their error, but he pointed out Job's correctness, his orthodoxy, that what Job said was right. Then God vindicates Job through Job's ministry. Because the three friends were wrong and Job was right, there were consequences. Verse 8, Now therefore, the therefore is based on the reality that the friends spoke what was wrong, And Job spoke what was right. Because the friend spoke what was wrong, and Job spoke what was right, now therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls, seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him, so that I may not do with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. So, here we're back to that same condemnation. He repeats, you have not spoken of me as my servant Job has. And he says, I will not do with you according to your folly. In other words, I'm not going to make you pay for what you said. The just thing for me to do would be to inflict great harm (laughs) and trouble upon you. Because you haven't done what's right. And your estimation of me is that if I weren't to do that, I'd be unjust. You understand this? Their whole understanding of who God is, is God must punish sin. But God says, I'm not going to treat you in accordance with your folly. I'm not going to treat you in accordance with your, your misunderstanding. So, 
I'm not going to bring the misery and heartache on you that you said I needed to do if a person was sinning. But instead, they were going to experience God's grace, of which, up until this point, they were clueless concerning. So, the three friends would offer a sacrifice to God. Offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. A burnt offering was a sin offering. He was telling them they needed to confess their sin. They had to acknowledge their wrongdoing, which was their failure to speak accurately and truthfully about God. Secondly, Job was to be intercessor for the three friends. My servant Job will pray for you. God vindicates Job in accepting his prayers. Why should they go to Job? Why uh, should he pray for them? Answer, online section, For I will accept him, so that I may not do with you according to your folly. I will hear his prayers on your behalf. When Job spoke of God, he spoke correctly. Again, verse 7. Have not spoken of me what is right. The three friends humble themselves and do as God says. The three friends follow God's instruction. So Eliphaz the Tamanite and Bildad the Shuite and so far the Amethite went and did as the Lord told them. God accepted Job's intercessory prayers on behalf of the three friends. And the Lord accepted Job. Now we look at what is the essence of the book of Job. The main point. And that is that Job vindicates God. Job proves that what God has said is right. Job vindicates God by serving God. No less than four times Job is referred to as God's servant in just these two verses. Notice verses 7 and 8. And it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Tamanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, because you have not spoken of me as first my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, and go to number two, my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And three, my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him, so that I may not go with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken to me what is right, as number four, my servant Job has. Remember, the issue in the very beginning was Job's service to God. And when the book opens, and we are able to see behind the curtain, and know of this dialogue that takes place between Satan and God, notice Job 1.8. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Have you taken into consideration? Have you thought about my servant Job? This righteous person who serves me. And that became the source of debate. Because Satan said, Well, of course he serves you. Look at all that you've done for him. But you take that away from you, and he will not serve you, but he will curse you to your face. 
Job does not curse God. Job serves God exactly what God had said. Because unlike Eliphaz and the three friends, God always speaks truth. God always represents reality. Truthfulness. Faithfulness. So number two, remember that the issue in the very beginning was Job's service to God. Three. Satan had asserted that the only reason that Job served God was because of what God had done for Job. Satan went on to state that if God were to remove his blessing from Job, then Job would no longer serve God, but actually curse him instead. Put forth thy hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse thee to your face. Job does indeed serve God by doing what God requires of Job, namely to intercede for his three friends. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his three friends. God ended Job's suffering when he prayed for the three friends. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his three friends. This is not because prayer is meritorious. Okay? This was not Job earning the favor of God. He prayed, and therefore God removes this because God rewards good. That flies in the face of everything that's being said. That's not what happened. Rather, when Job prayed, this was the full and final vindication of God's initial assessment of Job. In other words, the righteousness of Job and his servant spirit is displayed in praying for his three friends in the midst of his own misery and heartache and despite of the false and grievous accusations that had made against Job. To put it another way, here is the final test. Here's the nail in the coffin. Here is proof positive. The issue is, will God serve, excuse me, will Job serve me because of what I do for him, or will he serve me because he's righteous and understands that God is to be served? The question is, is Job willing to pray for his three friends? These three friends that in essence now, to some degree, have become his enemies. Is Job going to pray that God would forgive them? That God wouldn't punish them? Or is he going to be vindictive? Is he going to be self-absorbed? Is he going to be looking at his own misery and pity and saying, you go pray for yourselves, guys. Or, why should I pray for you? You thought that I was the biggest sinner on the face of this earth. Why in the world should I accept you now? But none of those thoughts and none of those actions are manifest in the life of Job. God says, you pray for your three friends so that they will be delivered. What does he do? He prays for his three friends, which is the ultimate manifestation of the reality that Job serves God for who God is, not what he does for him. But it also gives us a tremendous insight into what service of God looks like. For I think many times we associate 
service with God of activity. We serve God when we give of our time. We serve God when we give of our resources. We serve God when we are actively engaged in some kind of work that we can point to and have accomplished something. Uh, we think of serving God as involvement and engagement. And there's a measure of truth to that. But here we find out that service to God can be as simple as praying for those who despitefully use us. That that is service to God. You see, for that is accomplishing the will and purpose of God. God is much more concerned about who we are than what we do. He's much more concerned about what motivates what we do than what it is that we actually do. God looks upon the heart. That's a general principle, teaching of the Word of God. To serve God in the fullest sense of that word is seek to be righteous people, holy people, doing what is right in God's sight. Number four, the trial was over. Having remained faithful to God and continuing in his obedient service, now there was no longer any reason for Job to suffer. Thus, Job was delivered by God. Next, well, three weeks, we're going to look at what that deliverance looks like and bring it all to a close. But here it is. He's delivered because God proved his point beyond a shadow of a doubt. Conclusion. The main point of the book of Job is that God's assessment of Job is correct. Job is a righteous individual. Job serves God not because of what God does for Job, but because of who God is. Job's righteousness is revealed through his obedience to the will of God to pray for his friends who had only added to his pain and discomfort. It is noteworthy that his friends proved to be Job's greatest trial. How do we know that? Because that's when it was over. Of all the things that Job had to face, and, you know, I don't need to recount all the misery, but remember that he lost all his wealth and Remember that he lost his sons and daughters. And remember that he lost his health. He lost everything. But yet, the hardest thing for Job to endure were these three friends. Because they cut at the very core of everything that Job held dear. It was his one lifeline. It was the one source of comfort. God is good and we can trust Him. In the middle of the book, he says, Yea, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him or serve Him. And they were eroding away that confidence in God. It was the most painful thing that He had to endure. You don't think words matter? You don't think theology matters? You see, we can take away people's final hope if we erode or change the very character and person of God. B. A secondary corollary 
is that Job's friends were wrong in how they viewed God's activity and failed to understand God's grace. They were the kind of people, people that Satan was accusing Job of being. The irony of that. They weren't really righteous. And there's no place that they're referred to as righteous. Because they were serving God for the very reason that Satan said Job did. And that is, they were serving God because of what God did for them. That was their whole premise. If you do good, God will reward you. If you do bad, then God is going to punish you. They were serving God so that God would reward them. They were on Satan's side, if you will, in that sense. And that was what was so bad about what they said. You understand that? They actually were living out Satan's very proposition. They were unwittingly, unknowingly on his side. And teaching the very thing that he was condemning Job for. They couldn't have been more misled and more deceived. Thus, Job's trials served as a teaching tool not only for Satan, but Job's friends as well. You see, God's grace to these three friends is that they learn a truth in a most powerful way. Because they weren't punished. They were spared. And in their theology, that never should have happened. But God proves his point, not in hardness, but in gentleness, and in kindness, and in patience. Three, there is no mention of Job's friends ever praying for Job in the midst of his suffering, and yet Job prays for his three friends. Here we see the greatest lack of spiritual understanding and the greatest manifestation of self-centeredness on the part of his friends. The very fact that they didn't pray for Job. They all the time are telling Job to repent and turn to God, and yet they are never praying for Job or seeking God's intervention or God's help. Here we see the grandest manifestation of love for God and the spiritual sensitivity to others on the part of Job. Namely, he prays for them. Another area in which there is this tremendous dichotomy between Job and Eliphaz. Uh, but we need to ask ourselves, what do we do with people who are theologically incorrect? People that don't know better. People, like I ran into this very week, who was sitting down and telling me that God doesn't care about doctrine. What do you do? I didn't try to argue with him. Obviously, his mind was made up and he was pretty closed to the reality of God's Word. But I prayed for him. I prayed for him. And that's a manifestation of the way in which we are to respond to people. Job's friends speak confidently concerning the personal work of God, but they do not seek his wisdom or enablement. 
on the one hand, the things they say about God are so glowing. You know, you read that, and initially you say to yourself, what's wrong with these three friends? Because everything they say sounds right. Well, not everything sounds right. As we see that they spoke what was wrong, but a lot does sound right because of the way that they speak about God. But it didn't manifest itself in any practical way. They were talking in great terms about God's wisdom, but never sought it. They were talking wonderfully about God's power, but never prayed for Job to be released from these difficulties or hardships. We need to be very, very careful that we don't simply develop a theology that's right in terms of the person and character of God. And so we can tout and say very clearly, God is sovereign, God rules over all, God is all wise, God is all knowing, God is ever present, and have all these theological constructs which are all true, but yet never act upon them. Never pray, (laughs) never seek his wisdom, don't read the scripture, all those kinds of things. In other words, appear to be righteous, but inwardly be just void like a, a rotten tree that on the outside looks fine. But on the inside, that core, it's ready to fall over at any, any time. Once the purpose of God's sufferings was accomplished, they were ended. God once again demonstrates his grace, goodness, and love at the end of the book. And in three weeks, we will close it out. But uh, powerful, powerful condemnation of Job's three friends. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to say what is right when we talk about you. Help us to get our theology correct. And Lord, uh, may we not just say what is right, but may we appropriate what is right and just and good. For even as Job, who understood the grace of God, then manifested that grace himself in praying for his friends. Lord, help us not to only understand that we have been forgiven, but help us then to extend that forgiveness to others. Oh Lord, as we think about the doctrine of election, and we marvel at at God's goodness in calling us, oh Lord, may we long that God would call others. Uh, Lord, help us to live out the reality of our, our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.